Very good morning to one and all. My name is Paul, and on behalf of the church that meets here at Eastside, allow me to bid you a warm welcome, to welcome you to our premises here. And I'd like you to know that your presence here is indeed an encouragement for all of us, for the church that gathers here in particular. The turnout is great, and as I stand here before you and I look across even to the room behind, I think it's wonderful that so much work has been put in the past four years. Four years since we have started the congregation at Eastside, back at GV building. And uh, we are now blessed, so blessed by God indeed, that we have gathered here at these premises. I hope that it's more comfortable, comfortable for everyone. And more importantly, we are gathered today because we want to worship God and we want to know more about His will from us, from His Word. Today is a somewhat uh, special day because it is our dedication day. We set it aside as dedication day. That mark, this marks the fourth year that we have uh, since started Eastside. And we're going to take a little short break from our series of lessons of you know, uh, building relationships with one another. We've been doing that over the past few weeks. So... I'm going to speak on another topic today, and the title, as shown to you on the slide, would be Reaching In to Reach Out. I'd like for us to begin with considering this particular word, purpose. I think purpose is very important for all of us. You know, purpose, and we think of the word purpose, we think of a few words that come to mind. It could be words like meaning. It could be words like love. It could be words like passion, right? Sometimes when we think of purpose, I think it is important not just to love, sorry, to do what we love, but it is even more important to love what we do. Isn't it? Right? I repeat again, this can be a tongue twister actually. Right? It's important to do what we love, that's true. But it's even more important to love what we do. And that's, in a way, purpose for many of us. When we have that purpose, we will continue to sustain doing what we do because we find meaning, right? Think about things which we stop when we just we start for a while and then we stop. Why? Because we find maybe it's a dread. We find that it's boring. We find that these things don't matter really to us. We question the purpose of doing these things. That's why we stop. But there are some things that we keep doing again and again and again. There are times that we question why we do them, but we continue doing them because deep down, we know there is meaning and purpose and passion in what we do. So even as we continue with today's sermon, I'd like for us to explore our conviction, explore our purpose for why we do what we do, especially when it comes to doing the Lord's work. To set the context for the sermon, I'd like for us to consider the Apostle Paul, not me, okay? Apostle Paul in the Bible. They're just really for those who are, you know, who are guests, and really I want to set the context for all of us to understand. So we need to understand the Apostle Paul, and let me set the context about who he really is, give you a little idea, and then we try to delve in deeper to understand his purpose and rationale for doing what he does. All right. So first and foremost, to know about him, who exactly was Paul? Now, in the early years of Christianity, I think it's fair to say that very few were as feared as the Apostle Paul himself. Very few were as feared in the early years of Christianity. Okay. Now, he was formerly known okay, as Saul of Tarsus. And he really could very well fit the description of a notorious antichrist back then. If you consider his life, yes, you will classify him as a very fit individual, okay? And he is an antichrist. In what way, perhaps? Let's understand him a little bit more. There are a lot of things that he has done. In fact, in we read, first read of him in Acts chapter 7, towards the end of Acts chapter 7, and that's where there was this account of the stoning of a believer and a fervent preacher of the word Stephen. And 
He was being stoned and we read towards the end in Acts chapter 7 of how his clothes was laid as this, at the feet of this man called Saul. So that's the Saul we are talking about. Then we jump to chapter 8. We see that there was persecution against the church and Saul was making havoc of the church. That's the first few verses of chapter 8 of, of, in the book of Acts. Basically pulling people and dragging them to prison as far as he knows, as long as he knew they believed in Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of things that this man has done. And he himself also admitted his own mistakes. In fact, after his conversion in Acts chapter 26, verse 10 and 11, this is what he himself said. He said, which thing I, that's he, Paul referring to himself, also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Didn't support them in any way. All right? He was so happy that they are being put to prison. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, to say things against the name of Christ, to say things against God, to denounce their faith even, right? And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. So we see his fervor and his zeal in doing these things to believers of Jesus Christ in the early stages of Christianity. And that's what made him really quite a terrible and feared person. Now, of course, he eventually turned from an antichrist to a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ himself, right? And we, as we continue the narrative, we know that he was converted in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus when he actually uh, got letters and approval from the high priest to head on to Damascus and he would actually want to continue persecuting the Christians there. And of course, we read in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 to 18 that eventually he was converted and he became an apostle of Jesus Christ. Having seen the risen Savior himself, the risen Christ himself, that also qualified him to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, so much was his zeal for Christ after his conversion that he now became the target. The hunter became the hunted. You have heard that before. The hunter became the hunted. So, whereas in the past he was persecuting the Christians, Moving forward, his life has a, had a drastic, drastic change and he was now being hunted. Why do I say so? We see that after his conversion very short, very uh, quickly, in Acts 9 verse 20, he says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Now he is preaching Christ in the synagogues, whereas in the past he's taking the believers of Jesus and hauling them to prison. Now he's preaching Christ in the synagogues. All right? And as we carry on reading in verse 22, it says, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded. He puzzled the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that that is the very Christ indeed. What happened thereafter? He confounded them. He preached to them. Were the Jewish leaders there receptive? Did they actually, were they actually happy? Were they convinced? No, we see that in verse 23 itself, a drastic change. And after that, many days were fulfilled. After that many days, he's been teaching and teaching and teaching. The Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying a weight was known of Saul. And think about it, so much uh, anger, so much resentment that they felt. To the point where this is what happened. They watched the gates day and night to kill him. So they want to silence him. They want to stop him from teaching what he was teaching. So we see that there's a lot of, there's this 100% change from Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the preacher. And really, I can't in a 30, 30, 40 minute sermon tell you so much about the life of Paul. But this really says, want us to set the context for us to understand that this man changed so much for the cause of Christ. But even more so as we consider, you know, the purpose of why, of what we do, why we do. Let us explore Paul's purpose, his purpose. Why did he do what he do? Why did he do what he did? 
So let us do a survey on his own on his conviction. And in so doing a survey of his conviction, I hope for us to examine our own conviction. Because it is time for us to awake. It is time for us to work. And work we must. We go to Rome, I refer you to Romans chapter 1, verse 14 to 17, and this will be our main text for this morning in exploring Paul's conviction. Romans chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. Now, of course, in the uh, earlier verses, prior to verse 14, we talk about Paul greeting the saints. He's writing to the saints who are in Rome. And of course, uh, he writes about how he longs to see them soon. He longs to be to have the fellowship with the saints in Rome. He's not with them, but he longs to. That's why he's writing to them. Okay. Then he goes on in verse 14. He says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Verse 15, so as much as it's in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Powerful passage here that tells us about Paul's conviction about why he does or why he did what he did. Now let's try to dissect this and my hope for us is to examine further about his purpose. So we're going to look at three particular expressions that he used. Three particular expressions that give us a glimpse at least of his passion and his purpose and hopefully influences us to do likewise. First, he says, I am adapted to both the Greeks and to the barbarians. Now, let me explain some of these terms first. Now, of course, when we, let's consider the word debtor, right? We think of the word debt. We think of money matters, right? Um, sometimes it can be quite uh, difficult or quite uh, embarrassing in Singapore if we have to declare, right? Uh, financial embarrassment, that kind of thing, right? But is that referring to Paul in this way? Did he borrow money from anyone? Was he in debt that he need to pay money to, to this group of people called the Greeks and the barbarians? No, all right? This word debtor does not mean that he owes anyone money. Rather, it actually suggests that he has a very strong obligation. That's why owe. Owe, yes. But what did he owe? He did not owe money. He had this strong obligation, this responsibility towards the Greeks and the barbarians to do what? Which is to preach to them, to share with them the gospel of Christ. That is his strong obligation to the word debtor. That's why he uses the word debtor on himself. Who are the Greeks, you may wonder? Simply put, the Greeks are those who spoke the Greek and they understood the Greek culture. Then you might wonder, who are the barbarians? Are they those Vikings walking around with the axes and the swords and they are like, you know, very grisly, grizzled men? No, all right, actually. This word barbarians basically just means non-Greeks. Okay, the Greeks tend to refer to them as barbarians, okay? Some commentators talk about how to the Greeks at that time, um, anyone who speaks non-Greek sounds like ba-ba-ba. So you wonder why you don't call them ba-ba black sheep, but anyway... The Greeks call them barbarians, okay? But not the kind of barbarians we know that we see from the movies and the theaters. No, none of that sort, all right? Basically, these are non-Greeks. So essentially, Greeks and non-Greeks means everyone, okay? So one question we want to consider, why did Paul feel that it would be his personal obligation or responsibility to preach the word to all men? He said, I'm a debtor to them. I'm a debtor. It's my duty. It is my sole responsibility it is my obligation to preach to these people. Why did Paul feel this way? Allow me to give you three reasons. First, I think first and foremost, Paul genuinely loved the souls of men. Genuinely. He loved them. He looked beyond the individual to see the value of the soul. Why do I say so? 
In Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 2, we see that he read, it writes, and this is the same letter which Paul writes, right? In chapter 10, verse 1 to 2, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So we see the two words there. Paul has a desire for them. And that desire compels him to pray also for them. And certainly that's why he also wants to reach out for them. But why does he want to reach out for them? Notice the words, the expression that I have bolded for you towards the end of verse 2. He says, for these people, they have a zeal of God. But there is a problem. They have a zeal of God. But the problem is that zeal is not according to knowledge. So that is a problem. He is concerned for them because he knows that even though they have the zeal, they have that fervor, they have that sincerity, they don't have the knowledge. They're doing things that may be wrong. So he still wants to reach out to them. He still wants to pray for them. And that I think is the reason. He's looking at their soul and say, oh no, if, this, if these people continue to do what they do, thinking that they are right, then, and we let them be, and I let them be, and Paul, I being Paul, Apostle Paul, let them be, then what's going to happen to them? It won't be acceptable to God. So he wants to reach out to them. It's his responsibility. So he loves them. In fact, we don't need to look further when we talk about loving the souls of men. We see our Lord and Savior himself. Jesus loved the souls of men, isn't it? Right? In Matthew 9, verse 36, he's talking about Jesus. But when he, that's Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, you know, he was going about and healing them and tending to their needs. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, of course, we know in many verses, or in, in verses in the, in the gospel accounts, Jesus himself re refers, Jesus refers to himself as the great shepherd. The great shepherd. The sheep has to be led by the shepherd. If the sheep has no shepherd, they'd be lost. If the sheep has no shepherd, they're going to be food. They're going to be prey. Right? So that's why Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus looked out to them, and he really genuinely feels sad for them because he understands that these people need salvation. These people need him, needs his word as the shepherd of their souls. So I think what Paul did, what he did because he genuinely loved the souls of men. And my question for us really, do we love the souls of men? Each of us can have different personalities. Even when we go out to, our, to the working world and we see people, each of us has different personalities. Some people are probably, in a way, based on personality, more likable than others. Can't deny that. But do we look beyond what we just see, beyond the individual, and we see the soul, the value of the soul? And if we do see that value of that soul, May I suggest that we think harder on how we may reach out to them. That's why we need to reach in to reach out. We need to think of our perspective and correct our perspective in order to reach out. Because everyone out there is deserving of God's grace. Everyone out there is deserving of salvation. And if we don't do anything, we're lost. So that's the first reason. Let's go on to the second reason. Preaching the word for the Apostle Paul, was a God-given responsibility. It's God-given. We see in Acts 9, verse 15, we talk about the conversion, his conversion. It's there. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. That's Ananias. The Lord tells Ananias, say, Go thy way. Because Ananias is asking, Oh no, you want me to go and talk to, to this man who has been persecuting the church? But the response is, Go thy way. For he, that's the, Saul of Tarsus, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Paul was a chosen vessel of God. In fact, 
in in Second uh, Timothy chapter one verse eleven. It reads there. Paul himself says, "Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles." So Paul knew his responsibility because he knew that it was a God-given responsibility. Now think of it. Perhaps you may recall, for some of you who may be already be in the workforce, maybe you may recall your early years when you just entered the workforce and then you just joined a company. And you went, maybe you, you, you went to, a, to your usual place, maybe like for me, I still remember, obviously I go and find a desk to sit down and I start my days as a teacher. And then maybe you'll recall that time or the earlier time in your career where your boss came to you. Your boss said, hey, I have something for you. I want you to go and do it. I have something for you. Can I give you a task? What was your response? In your early years when you started work and you, and you, and you probably were sitting around or, or you sometimes maybe you were doing, you're busy about your business, but your boss came to you and said, hey, I have a task for you. What was your response? I cannot, 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 cannot. Very busy, cannot, cannot, cannot. Was that your response? That certainly wasn't mine. Because I can remember in my early years, I was out to prove something. And I'm sure many of us seated here would likewise be the same. Many of us would likewise wanted to prove something, right? You wanted to prove to your bosses that you were someone. If you didn't want to prove anything, then at least you somehow might have felt honored because the boss came to you to ask you of something. If the president or the prime minister came to you and asked you for a favor or asked you to do something, would you do it? Some of us might feel, oh, maybe you don't feel like so don't feel so much like doing it. But you'll be so compelled because you understand the gravity. You understand the authority. So we do it. In this case, it is the same for the Apostle Paul. He knew that the command to reach out came from no one else but the Great One. No one else but the Master. And so he does it because he wants to support the work of the Master. Because he wants the affirmation of the Master. Because he wants the grace of the Master. Likewise, for us, Preaching the word of God is a given responsibility to all of us Christians. We have to do it. And often we look at Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, and we call it the Great Commission. But to be cheesy about it, tongue-in-cheek, sometimes it's become a great omission because we don't do it enough. We don't do it enough. Right? We say, go ye and teach, all, try to say, go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now it has become a text, perhaps, that we read. We just know, ah, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, that's my duty. And next moment, we forget about it. I think it's time for us to think a little bit deeper about the purpose that's instilled to the command alone. Next, the third reason, the truth of God's word was in Paul's hands. Truth of God's word was in Paul's hands. At the start, we don't have the Bible as it is today. Uh, now, quite very, very, very fortunate, actually we're very blessed because we have the word of God as it is today. Whether it's in a hard copy form, whether it's in an e-sort, soft copy form, we are blessed indeed because we have the complete revelation of God in our hands. Back then, it's not like that. They don't, they don't have the Bible as it is like that, right? So in fact, the truth back then, the truth, where can they find the truth? The truth was given to the apostles by Christ through the Holy Spirit, right? You see in John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He was telling his disciples. Christ was saying, hey, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You will know everything that you need to know. So there was no hard copy Bible that's compiled like that in the past. These men were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they had the knowledge, the truth in them. 
And certainly, that includes the Apostle Paul. And because of that, they can pen down the letters. They can pen down these writings. And these have been preserved for us to read, to enjoy today in our Holy Bible that you have in your hands. Now, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, Paul also writes but it, but about concerning the apostles themselves. But just as we, that's the apostles, have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Look at the word entrusted. Entrusted denotes responsibility. When someone trusts you with something, they expect you to hold on to it and to make good use of it. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul felt he needed to do. Can you imagine if all the apostles, just a couple of handful, can you imagine if the apostles received the truth and they didn't do anything about it? Can you imagine if they were like the one talent man and they received the truth and they went like, oh, okay, I know this much. Wow, I'm so blessed. I'm so honored. I'm so privileged. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it to myself because I know the truth. And they don't. I'm special. I'm going to be selfish for a bit because, wow, I'm special. Can you imagine if they, they did that? If they did that, we won't be here today. If they did, did that, we won't know of Christ. Precisely because they did what they did and they reached out. That's why we are fortunate and blessed today to know of the truth. Likewise, for us as Christians, God has entrusted the word to us. He has committed the word of truth to us in our hands. What are we doing about it? Are we reaching out? Or are we hoping that you know, maybe by some stroke of luck or maybe when the seven stars, 20,000 stars align, somebody will see the light of Christ in me and then somebody will ask a question, do you go to church? No, that's not going to happen. We have to make it happen, my brethren and friends. So we are blessed to receive the word of truth. But this also means we are entrusted. What are we doing about it? And even as I share this sermon, Today, I am mindful that it also speaks about me, of what I have not done. But I think it's a message we ought to learn. Let's look at the next one. I am ready to preach the gospel to you. Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel. Now, we recognize when it comes to being ready to preach the gospel, there are some difficulties, isn't it? There are some difficulties. I mean, it's true, it's true, right? Being ready here actually is related to having the willingness of mind, just to explain a little bit more. Okay, it is the same word used as in Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in Gethsemane. Right? The spirit indeed is willing. The mind is willing, but the flesh is weak. So that's the idea of being ready. Ready to preach the gospel. They have that willingness to preach the gospel. When I think of the word ready, I think of men like these, right? I think it's a very apt uh, image to show. We think of, for example, firemen. Firemen now, very commendable job that they do, right? Because they, 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 save, they save lives, right? Literally, they save lives. When they are called on duty, when they're on duty, whether on duty or off duty, when they're called upon, they go, right? They go. Can you imagine, can you imagine if a fireman in Singapore, or people in the FCD, eh? Can you imagine if they receive a call? Fire, fire, come and help me. I'm, I'm okay. Can you imagine if the fireman decided, can you wait for just a little bit? Can, can I finish my food first? I'm, I'm finishing my last 10 miles. Let me finish the food. Let me enjoy the well-done steak. Let me finish it up. Then I come and find you. If that were to happen, wow. You'd be really upset with them, right? Because that is a matter of life and death. If they are called upon for duty, they would don their uniform, get the team ready, go to the scene, carry out their work, save their lives. They're not gonna, I'm finishing my game. Don't call me, uh, call me five minutes later. No, they're not gonna do that. Right? So that's about readiness. Are we ready in that sense? Are we ready to preach the gospel? So being ready. Right. Some of us, of course, uh, we understand uh, we are not ready because of personal barriers. Some people are not ready because of inadequacy. They feel that they maybe um, are not skilled enough. 
don't have enough knowledge. Some people are not ready because they are fearful. They are fearful. They're scared of them uh, going, uh, getting rejected perhaps from the friends, from the relatives. Uh, even as I speak, I was, honestly, I had to think very hard before I invited a relative of mine to, to attend this morning's uh, service. Because I was preaching, I thought it was a good opportunity to try to reach out. But I, I can tell you, I spent and deliberated on the text and the words, word choice that I used as well. Because I know the background, I know the context. Yeah. But I eventually sent it out. Okay. But it's true. There are difficulties when it comes to being ready. We are not alone. The prophets in of all also face some difficulties. We think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called upon, right? By God. And he's often termed as the weeping prophet because he cried for his people. He cried for his people. Right? He cried for them. He, very, he was very concerned for their lives. Jeremiah 1 verse 4 to 6. It reads there, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Well, powerful words. But look at Jeremiah's response. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. So we think of Jeremiah, we think of Moses, this man of old. And of course, we know their stories. But we know that their journey as well is not smooth sailing. Their life, in terms of reaching out, was not smooth sailing. They faced their own set of difficulties as well. And in this case, in this particular instance, Jeremiah says, Hey, I'm so young, I cannot speak. Find someone else. Maybe someone else is better. Right? I'm too young, I better not. Maybe when I am more ready, I shall go. But of course, we know that he went, right? Ultimately, he went. He went. And of course, let's not forget that the Lord told him, even in the same chapter, told him twice, I am with thee, and I will deliver thee. That's why God told him twice in the same chapter, I am with thee, now deliver thee. Well, so in spite of the difficulties that we face, let's be ready to put them away. Let's have that mindset to put them away. Let's incline ourselves to try our very best and reach out to people. Next, about being ready. We do not have to be ready alone all the time. Sometimes you say, oh, you're being, I'm going to reach out, I'll do it alone. Not necessary. Actually, reaching out is the work of the church, which also means it's the work of every individual. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 to 6, it says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe. Ministers by whom you believe. Even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Notice. Now, I know we often focus on the last part. We know that God is at work and God gives the increase. But we don't, I hope that we don't forget the parts in front, the former parts. He says, I have planted an Apollos water. Two people are doing, at least, are involved in this work of reaching out. Right? So don't do it alone. Don't ever think that you are alone. You are not alone. And oftentimes, they are very well-intentioned brethren who will be around to support us. If you have a friend who is visiting and perhaps you feel difficult, feel that it might be difficult or inadequate because you, you, you feel that maybe for some reason you find that you don't want to, you, you cannot uh, reach out or teach your friend on your own, reach out to the kind brethren who are willing to step up to help. There are. There are. Trust me. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry and you are God's building. So we are laborers together. No? We cannot let God's work fall into the hands of just a small few people because it leads to burnout. We must all want to support one another in the work of the Lord and more so even for reaching out. But that's just, this just means that if we all do it together, we are not alone. And that's the good thing. That's a comforting thing to know. I can be very sure that 
if I were to talk to have a class later and I go to Uncle Danny, I said, Uncle Danny, come support me. Said, sure, let's go, let's do it. I'm very sure. I go to Mark later. Mark, come. Help me, help me, help me. I'm scared I say the wrong thing. He will support me. Uncle Tian Singh, Alvin. A lot of people. Well-intentioned men and brethren. Even, even the ladies, I'm sure, some of them. Hey, hey, got a friend here. You want to speak? You want to speak? They say, okay, let's go. So don't be worried. You don't have to be ready alone all the time. We do it together. Right? So let's increase our readiness to reach out together. Now we need to make preparation. Huh? Being ready involves preparation, right? The fireman, he definitely has to undergo training, right? You don't expect it. The, the fire, the, the vehicle reach you already. The fellow comes out. You ask it, uh, you look at him, he's fumbling with the equipment. Say, hey, are you okay? Hey, sorry, yeah, I first day on the job. So sorry, sorry, first day. Oh, hold the hold the hose. Don't know whether the hose is the one going to you can be flying around the <laughs> like a flying carpet. Right? Yeah. So you know the preparations need to be made, right? End of the day, because in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, we are asked to be in, in uh, to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, right? And there are so many things to do, right? There's you have to do reproving, rebuking, exhorting. These are all different things altogether, and we require different sets of skills. Though. We talk to people, uh, rebuking and rebuking, exhorting, different skills. No, if I rebuke the same way that I exhort, something's wrong, right? <laughs> something's wrong with me. If I come up here and I rebuke and I exhort the same way. So it requires these sets of skills and it takes time. But we must recognize that preparations must be made to make ourselves ready, right? In season, out of season. Actually, now it's in season. No? Now it's in season. What's happening now is in season. It's very convenient, right? On a, in, a, in terms of like a Sunday, the Lord's Day, we schedule a preacher, we come in here, we prepare our sermon, I stand up here, I talk. Then there are two things you can do. La. One is you sit down and listen, or maybe three things. One is you sit down and listen. Two is you sit down, but you close your eyes and sleep. Third one is you walk out of the door. But it's convenient because I just stand here and I stop. And I have my, it's a quiet time in a sense for me to talk. But what about being out of season, the inconvenient time? The time when, you know, maybe you suddenly somebody asks you, hey, are you a Christian? Tell me more. Now we must recognize that preaching the word of God doesn't happen only on Sundays. Ah. I think let's, let's recognize that. Preaching the word of God cannot only happen on Sundays. And we must be ready, right? So let's prepare ourselves and incline ourselves to that. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5 says, but watch down in all things and your affliction and do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Of course, Paul is encouraging Timothy. But in turn, he encourages us to do the work of an evangelist, to do it. Let's get to it. Let's reach out. So let us incline our hearts and our minds to be ready and improve our skill sets along the way. Nobody says that things can be done in one week, two weeks, three weeks. Right? Um, I'm sure you will, you will have recalled that throughout the years, the four years, we've been conducting quite a number of series on evangelism itself. Yeah, sometimes you wonder, why? Ah? Why everyday evangelism? Ah? Oh, yeah, so boring evangelism, evangelism. 2020, 2019 evangelism, 2020 evangelism, 2021 evangelism, 2022 also got evangelism. Every year got some evangelism. Why like that? Ah? What cannot change one? Ah? Yeah. But that's the purpose. Ah, because we need to keep repeating something so that we are more ready to, to reach out, isn't it? Right. Last but not least, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed. Now, why was he not ashamed? I think the answers are found in those verses alone. Why was he not ashamed? He's so bold to speak of the gospel because he says it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first part, he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And what's, and of course, the word gospel, we understand it to mean good news. And what's so powerful about the gospel? In verse 2, first part, he says, by which the gospel, by the gospel, you are saved. So people are saved through their obedience to the good news, the gospel itself. And then as they move forward to verse 3 and 4, he says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So what exactly is in the gospel that is so powerful? What exactly is in the gospel that is worth talking about? The story of Jesus Christ. 
is the story of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And it's powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation, meaning that it saves us. Saves us from what? It saves us from our wrongdoings that we have done against God. And the Bible has said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Only the gospel of Christ can do that. My brethren and friends, we must recognize that. Only the gospel of Christ can do that. It is the power of God. The power of God. The specific. It's not a power of God. God didn't choose. God didn't throw down 20 options for us and say, hey, do any of these things and you will all be saved. God didn't do that. God gave us the gospel. And it's only through the gospel that we can be saved. So no message has that saving power and only God's word has that power. That is why we need to preach. That is why we invite our friends. So for friends who are in our midst, that is why we invite you. Because we learn from the Bible itself that only through obedience to God's word can we be saved. And we care enough for you. That's why we invite you. That's why we talk about it. Second, Paul is not ashamed because the gospel has the power to uplift, to encourage, right? He says, in Romans 1 verse 17, we read that earlier, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now take note that the word just there and the word righteousness same Greek, in the same Greek word. So the just shall live by faith is the people, the people who are declared to be just by God, whom God deems as just. The just shall live by faith. These people are revealed from faith to faith. Meaning to say that in the gospel itself, when we consider the scriptures as a whole, the Bible as a whole, we come to understand of the people of old who have lived to tell the tale, who have been in God's eyes considered righteous because of their faith in Him, because of their obedience to His word, and because of what they have done. In fact, we go to Hebrews 11. It says the gospel tells us about faithful men. We have a whole list there. From Abel to Abraham to Moses, so on and so forth. We have a list there, right? So the gospel tells us about faithful men. No? You look at from the Old Testament all the way down to the New Testament. The gospel tells us of faithful men who have throughout their time, throughout time, lived righteous lives. And really, when we are down, we can recall these stories. And actually, it helps us. And I have no doubt, I no doubt uh, believe that it helped Paul as well. I mean, we consider his life and the difficulties he has faced. Consider his defenses against kings, his defenses against the Jewish leaders who always want to put him to death and question and inter interrogate him. That kind of environment. I'm sure there are times where he would feel down. But what keeps him going? He remembers. He remembers the righteousness of God, which have been revealed from faith to faith, from the Old Testament time to the New Testament time. He remembers all these examples and also, in a way, it keeps him going. So, hopefully this keeps us going as well so that we continue to reach out. The gospel uplifts the weak and downhearted through the examples of faith. And last but not least, why was he not ashamed? Because he has the power to give hope. The gospel has the power to give hope. What hope am I talking about? In Matthew 25 verse 46 says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Life eternal to live forever and ever. On earth? No. Certainly not. Why would we want to stay on earth forever? Do you want to stay on earth forever? Actually, sometimes I think that fortunately we don't get to stay on earth forever. It's a lot of unhappiness on earth, right? A lot of difficult things that we deal with on earth, right? So, life eternal is not about life on earth. Life eternal is about life in heaven. Life in heaven. And through the gospel, it says that the righteous will be able to attain life eternal. God will give us that eternal life in heaven. And this gives us hope. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 17, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend, he's talking about it, the time when Christ comes again. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in, in Christ shall rise first. Not uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those people who have passed on before us and they are in Christ. They will rise first. Then we, that's people who are remaining, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And it is so wonderful, the last expression there. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is a beautiful passage because it gives us hope. What kind of hope, you may wonder? At least for me, it gives me the hope that I get to see my loved ones who has passed on. Don't you miss them? I'm sure you do. I'm sure you miss them. I miss my mother-in-law. I miss people who have gone, who are in Christ. I miss them because of their legacy. I miss the late Brother Hong Ling. I miss them. Don't you miss them? I'm sure we do. But we have this hope that keeps us going. If we remain obedient to the gospel, we have life eternal. We get to see them again. And brethren and friends, you may be wondering, what has that got to do with, you, with me sitting down here? This is, the main, this is one of the big reasons why we often reach out, at least for me. Because my hope is to see, at the very least, really, call it a selfish one or what, but my hope is to see, at the very least, people whom I know go to heaven. Isn't that so? Don't you want the person to your left and the person to your right to go to heaven with you? Don't you want to see them? Or do you want your life to just poof, that's it. We don't see each other anymore. No, I don't think you want that. You want the people around you, even as you look around right now, you want the people in this room to go to heaven with you. You want to see them. You want your husband to be there. You want your spouse to be there. Your wife to be there. You want your children to be there. You want your friends to be there. You want your brethren to be there. So remember, why we preach, why we reach out, because this is crucial to our work. So there is living hope in the gospel. Let's not forget about this. So we have surveyed the Apostle Paul's conviction. I hope that in doing so, we have surveyed our own conviction, reflect on our own motivation to reach out to others. And hopefully we can be like Paul mentioned the same thing. I'm a debtor to both the Greeks and to the barbarians. Meaning to say, I'm a debtor to all men. I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel. And last but not least, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because of many things involving hope. To my friends who have been visiting with us, or you could be your first time here perhaps, I'd like to extend the invitation of the gospel to you. God gave us his word and from his word we are able to know what we must do. What we must do really in the eyes of the Lord to be saved. Now of course, there are people sometimes they, they shrug it off. Uh. Uh, there are people who turn off who get turned off because they say, what must I do? As though, you know, as though my works cause me to be saved. Some people look at the word do and then people get upset. They say, is it I get saved just because of what I do? No. They say I'm saved because of faith. Correct. You are saved because of faith. But it's a working faith. It's a faith that works the righteousness of God. It's a faith that shows the obedience to His word. That is why we obey. And my friends, God has done His part because He has given us the greatest sacrifice of His Son to die on the cross so that He may redeem us. We, on the other hand, need to do something about it. We need to do something about it. If there's, a, if, there's, if there's a gift, if you're in a mall and there's a gift on the fourth floor, you take the escalator, go to the fourth floor and queue up and take the free gift. Wouldn't you? If you want it enough. Likewise, it's the same for us. Man has to do something on their part. God expects us to hear the word, to believe the gospel of Christ, to repent of our sins, to confess Jesus, and to be baptized 
for the remission of our sins. Then we can walk with him as his children. I hope that the message today has given you some food for thought. To my brethren, hopefully it has increased your conviction somewhat and reflected on why you do, why we do what we do. And to my friends, if you have any need, do let us know. Do let us know because we are concerned for you. That is why we are so happy that you have taken time to be with us. That is why there is this joy that is in us that maybe we don't tell you, but really, we are happy that you have taken the time to join us. So with that, let us stand as we sing the invitation song. There is much to do, there's work on every hand. Hark the cry for help comes ringing through the land. Jesus calls for reapers, I must actively be. What will thou, O Master, here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I. Ready at thy bidding, Lord, send me. There's the plaintive cry of morning soul's distress, and the sigh of hearts who seek but find no rest. They should have my love and tender sympathy. Ready at thy bidding, here am I, send me. Here am I. Lord, send me, your rabbi, thy bidding, Lord, send me. There are hungering souls who cry aloud for bread, with the bread of life they are longing to be fed. Shall they starve and famish while the peace is free? I must be more faithful, here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, ready at thy bidding, Lord, send me. There are souls who linger on the brink of woe. Lord, I must or cannot bear to let them go. Let me go and tell them, brother, turn and flee. Master, I will say that your advice and me. Your advice, Lord, send me. Here am I, ready at thy bidding, Lord, send me.